0: Welcome to Origins, a project of the Public History Initiative and the Goldberg Center in the History Department at The Ohio State University. Each month, Origins will focus on a particular current issue. It might be political, cultural, or social, and we will invite an academic expert to put that issue in a larger, deeper context. We hope that Origins will help you understand the world more fully and that it will prompt you to think, debate, and learn. The final goal of Origins is to make us all more informed and engaged citizens. As the American philosopher John Dewey wrote, History, which is not brought down close to the actual scene of events, leaves a gap. We hope origins will help fill that gap, and we hope you enjoy what you find. Tradition versus Charisma, the Sunni-Shii divide in the Islamic world by Stephen Dale The degeneration of the Iraq conflict into a low-level but nonetheless murderous civil war between Sunnis and Shiis has highlighted the principal sectarian divide in the Islamic world. However, Given the media's pathetic inability to explain the nature of Sunni and Shi differences in the Islamic world and the reasons why they've become so explosive in Iraq, it is hardly surprising that Americans' understanding of the carnage is largely limited to a sense that most Arabic religious terms begin with the letter S. Yet the sectarian distinctions and violent conflict between these two Iraqi religious communities are recognizable as a typical catalytic reaction that occurs in societies where doctrinal differences interact explosively with socio-economic or political schisms. A well-known contemporary example is the Troubles in Northern Ireland, which have plagued that province for the last half century. Protestants and Catholics there, as elsewhere, have fundamentally different beliefs about religious authority and other matters, but they have not bombed each other's pubs over the fine points of Christian theology. Northern Irish Christians have been at each other's throats because of the political and socio-economic history of the province. Nor, for all of their theological differences, have Sunnis and Shi'is been murdering one another in Iraq because of disputes over how many angels fit on the head of a pin. In Iraq, as in Northern Ireland, political disputes are the underlying causes of the conflict, and just as the recent power-sharing agreement between the IRA's Jerry Adams and the not very reverend Ian Paisley that offers the best chance to bring troubles to an end, so too in Iraq a political solution acceptable to all sides is essential to end the carnage. All Sunnis and Shi'is accept the fundamental principles of the Islamic faith, beginning with the role of Muhammad, who was revered as the last or seal of the prophetic line that began with Moses and continued with Jesus Christ, but only as a prophet and not the Son of God. All Muslims accept the Arabic Quran as the revealed word of God to Muhammad, a series of revelations known as surahs or chapters that begin with the verse, In the name of God, the Beneficent, the Merciful. All Muslims observe the five pillars of Islam. One, the monotheistic profession of faith. There is no God, but God, and Muhammad is the prophet of God. Two, the five daily prayers. Three, almsgiving. Four, fasting. And five, pilgrimage to Mecca. All Muslims also revere the prophet's family, the Ahal al-Bait, literally the people of the house. Yet Sunni and Shi'i attitudes to Muhammad's family and descendants are fundamentally different, and these differences are the basis for the development of two Muslim confessional communities. Sunnis believe that Muhammad was the last divinely inspired individual and that the caliphas or caliphs, literally the successors to the Prophet, were simply guardians of the political independence and religious integrity of the newly formed Muslim community. These men were not Sunnis Contend divinely chosen, nor do they possess any special religious insight. In Sunni eyes, these caliphs did not possess, as some Catholic popes claimed, infallibility in interpreting religious doctrine. Sunnis view the first four caliphs, men who had known or were related to Muhammad, idealistically as the four rightly guided caliphs of an Islamic Golden Age, and most of them also accept the legitimacy of both the two later dynastic caliphates the Umayyads of Damascus, and the Abbasids of Baghdad, and those who ruled individual Muslim countries afterwards. Even after the Islamic world fragmented into numerous regional states ruled by autocratic sultans, a process well underway by the 10th century common era, Sunni Muslim political theorists justified the reality before them by arguing that stability trumped religiosity, a rationale not now accepted by al-Qaeda or many members of the Muslim Brotherhood who believe that Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and many other contemporary Muslim states are irretrievably corrupt, decadent, un-Islamic aut- autocracies that ought to be replaced by Islamic regimes, such as that of the first four rightly guided caliphs. Sunnis take their name from the Arabic word sunnah, which means tradition. Originally, Muslims used the term when they referred to the Hadith, reports of the sayings or actions of the Prophet Muhammad, or even sometimes those of his companions. Over the course of the two succeeding centuries, Muslim theologians came to identify Sunnah solely with Muhammad and gradually the Hadith became accepted as a source of Islamic law that complemented the Quran, Muhammad's divinely inspired revelations. By the 10th century common era, Muslims increasingly used the Arabic term Ahl al-Sunnah to refer to the members of the majority, or in theological terms, the orthodox community. These individuals accepted the authority of Scripture as embodied in the Qur'an and the Hadith, and recognized the legitimacy of the Caliphs and their successors. Most Sunnis accept only the Qur'an and the Hadith as sources of religious truth and social guidance, and in the 21st century, conservative or, or fundamentalist Muslims usually deny the validity of interpretation or philosophically inspired logical analysis of Scripture. These Muslims take essentially the same attitude as fundamentalists in other religious traditions, ranging from Christians to Hindus. Shi'i Muslims differ from Sunnis in that they not only revere Muhammad's family, but attribute unique religious insight to his relatives and descendants. They believe that these individuals possess spiritual charisma, and assert that they rank just below the Prophets because they are divinely inspired, not to produce new prophecy, but to understand the true or esoteric meaning of the Quran. In their eyes, therefore, Muhammad's relatives and descendants were the proper leaders of the Muslim community, and of the first four caliphs, only the fourth, Ali, Muhammad's first cousin and son-in-law, was legitimate. Early in Islamic history, some Shi'i Muslims began to publicly denounce the first three caliphs as illegitimate, an act that was, and is, deeply offensive to the Sunni community, who regard these men as icons of the early Muslim community. Shi'is also reject the legitimacy of the Umayyad and Abbasid caliphs as well as the authority of all later Sunni rulers. Shi'is assert that Ali's descendants, known as Imams, should have been leaders of the entire Muslim community. They are divided in their belief in the number of authentic Imams, some known generally as Ismailis and led by the Aja Khan, assert there were seven. Others, the majority of Shi'is, identify twelve. However, both Shi'is sects assert to their last imam did not die, but disappeared into a kind of spiritual concealment to return, in an idea borrowed from Christianity, as the Mahdi, to restore justice on earth. The most important practical effect of this belief is that in Shi'i societies, religious leaders often became political activists for when, as in late 19th century Iran, Shi'is openly denounced the legitimacy of dynastic rulers Some members of the clergy claimed they were the proper earthly representatives of the hidden Imams, a role that some of Ayatollah Khomeini's followers in Iran claimed for him after he returned to Iran in 1979 from exile in Paris and Iraq. Shi'i Islam began as a dynastic dispute, although one that stemmed initially from the resentment of Muhammad's family, the Banu Hashim, after they lost the special status they had enjoyed during his life. Shi'i means faction or party, and the original Shi'is were Muslims from Kufa in Iraq, known as the Partisans of Ali, the Shi'i at Ali, who first began to agitate on behalf of Ali's claim to the caliphate. When Ali himself became the fourth caliph in 656 Common Era, he did not make theological claims to divine guidance. Others made those long after his death. He did, however, assert that he had a superior claim to the Caliphate, based on his kinship with Muhammad and his service to Islam. Ali's assassination in 661 represented the continuation of a dynastic civil war, which pitted Ali's successors, the founders of the Umayyad Caliphate of Damascus, against Ali's sons and descendants. The Umayyad attempt to eradicate the resistance of Ali's family climaxed in 680 at Karbala, Iraq, with the massacre of Hussein. Ali's son and Muhammad's grandson, and the slaughter of more than twenty other members of the Prophet's family. This event, more than any other, spurred the transformation of Shi'at Ali from a group of dynastic loyalists to, to sectarian activists. In particular, the shocked reaction to Hussein's death came to be commemorated as the Passion of Shi'i Islam, celebrated during the month of Muharrim, the month of the massacre, with public mourning ritual self-flagellation, and passion plays recounting the massacre. Many Shi'i Muslims experienced profound emotional catharsis during Muharram, one that has no equivalent in the Sunni world. Throughout the history of the Muslim world, Shi'is were always a minority community, often attracting to themselves Muslims who were socially marginalized or dispossessed. One of the consequences of their minority status was peculiarly Shi'i theological ruling, that it was justified for Shi'is to conceal their beliefs. In consequence, Shi'i political activism had a conspiratorial or revolutionary quality from a very early date. Occasionally, before the Iranian Revolution of 1979, Shi'is founded dynasties. The Fatimids of Yemen, North Africa, Egypt, and Syria were the most important of these. Shi'is of the Islamili sect, the Fatimids took their name from Muhammad's daughter Fatima. The dynasty's founder, the Fatimid Imam, proclaimed himself Caliph and al-Mahdi, the Shi'i Messiah, and aggressively sponsored the missionary activity that brought them to power. The Fatimid Imam, who, consistent with Shi'i doctrine, presented himself as the divinely guided leader of all Muslims, established a state-financed mission that dispatched agents to convert the Sunni world to Shi'i Islam. The most notorious of these missions was led by Hassan I sabat in Iran, who organized assassinations of Sunni Muslim leaders. The English word assassin is thought to derive from Hassan i sabahs supposed practice of giving his agents hashish before their missions, who then became known as Yin. The Fatimids, however, were exceptional, and for most of Islamic history, Shi'i Muslims have lived as minority members of Sunni states or communities. This was true, for example, of the Shi'i's principal shrine and pilgrimage centers of Kufa and Karbala, Najaf and Samara, which for most of their histories, were included in provinces of Sunni Muslim states. Prior to the British occupation in 1918, these Iraqi cities have been part of the Sunni Ottoman Empire for most of the previous 400 years. During most of that period, they have been a neglected backwater, a frontier zone between the Ottomans and the Safavids of Iran, a militantly Shi'ite state that conquered the Iranian plateau between 1500 and 1510, forcibly imposing the Shi'i faith in the process. In the 19th century, Iranian and Indian Shi pilgrims and Indian money flowed into the shrine cities, dramatically increasing their prosperity and religious influence throughout the region, and during this era, Iranian clerics came to dominate Shi affairs in Karbala and elsewhere. In the late 19th century, the Ottomans founded a Sunni madrasa, or seminary in Samarra, to try to counteract growing Shi prosperity and power in southern Iraq, but these attempts of a disintegrating empire had little effect, and by the time the Ottoman state collapsed in 1919, Shis had become the majority in the southern Iraqi region. Many of the tribes were now part of the Shia-majority population, converted from Sunni to Shia Islam only during the second half of the 19th century. Shia clerical leaders known as Mujtahids, who had dramatically increased their influence in southern Iraq during the 19th century, were stimulated to political activism by events in the Ottoman Empire and Iran in the early 20th century. The Young Turk Revolution of 1908 and the Iranian Constitutional Revolution between the years 1905 and 1911 exposed Shi'i clerics in Iraq to political activism and modernist ideas and, one might say, represented the first appearance there of what observers now commonly call political Islam. Iraqi Shi'is were stimulated by the appearance of books and periodicals from Istanbul and the example of Iranian Shi'i clerics actively participating in the Iranian Revolution. Then, in 1919, a British supervised plebiscite stimulated Shi'i clerics, most of them still Iranians, to press for Islamic constitutional monarchy in Iraq, and in the following year they instigated a revolt to establish such a state. However, by late 1920, British authorities suppressed the revolt and in the following year arranged for the enthronement of King Faisal, the son of Sharif Hussein of Mecca, as King of Iraq. Not until 2003 did Iraqi Shi'i religious leaders have another opportunity to take control of the Iraqi state. The basis of the sectarian conflicts and 21st century Iraq can be directly traced to the British creation of a nation-state in Iraq for both the Sunni-dominated constitutional monarchy and its successor, the Sunni-dominated Arab socialist regime that succeeded it in a bloody coup in 1958, regarded the Shi'i clerics as threats to the integrity of the Iraqi nation-state. Intensifying these regimes' hostility was the dominance of Iranian Shi'is as leaders of the shrine cities in the south. The expulsion of many Iranian Shi'is to Iran decreased their influence, but did not lessen the goal of either the monarchical or republican governments to isolate Shi'i clerics from the local tribal sheiks and Shi'is in Iran. Both governments were successful in undermining the influence of Shi'i clerics at the shrine cities. As Baghdad grew in power and economic influence, many Shiis migrated to the capital, and considerable numbers of them, who had professional or technical educations and became the nucleus of a new middle class, intermarried with Sunnis. However, and the bulk of the Shi'i population remained concentrated in southern Iraq, and the goal of Shii mutahids in the late 20th century was not separatism but political parity with Sunnis in Baghdad. The Shi'i uprising there following the 1991 Gulf War was an inchoate, unplanned revolt stimulated by Western powers and the Iranians. Saddam Hussein's brutal suppression of the revolt laid the groundwork for the current situation in which the Shi'is dominate the Iraqi government and are on the verge of achieving what the British denied to them in 1920, not parody, but dominance. This edition of the Origins Podcast has been brought to you by the Public History Initiative and the Goldberg Center and the History Department at The Ohio State University. Our main editors are Stephen Kahn and David Staley. Our website manager and technical advisor is Chris Aldridge. My name is Lawrence Bowdish, the managing editor for online content. Find this article and more at ehistory.osu.edu. Thank you for listening.